0: I want to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we continue our series on our steadfast hope in Jesus. And I just want to read one verse. We're going to cover 16, but I just want to read one and then pray together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 says this very simply. For you yourselves know, brothers, this is certain, this is personal, this is close, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. We pray that it would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that it would strengthen our hearts. We pray that you would lift up the feeble knees, people who are stumbling and struggling and falling like we all do. Would you strengthen us in our inner man today by your word for our lives? Would we not be able to leave here as we came in? Lord, some came in who don't actually have a relationship with you yet. They're interested, they might even be moving that direction, but they've never put their own faith and trust in Christ. Would today be the day? Or some of us come in stubborn in our own sin and going our own way. We're like sheep who go astray. And God, would you speak to those hearts and correct and challenge and bring us to our knees today before you? And some of us come here on our knees burdened by the, the weights of life and the hard things that are going on, would you lift up, strengthen, encourage the weak? This morning, we pray, by your word, through your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's interesting, as I was preparing this week, every time I got ready to to put together something, I just had this profound sense to stay in the text. And and not, not, not divert that direction. So if that's gonna make it really hard for you, I apologize, but hopefully it'll be okay. Um, I was struck as I read this first verse with just three little words. If you have your out-the-door handout, that's the title of the sermon this morning, three little words. Because I think it really captures the essence of this whole section. And it's the three right at the end. Paul says, I'm confident that our coming to you was not in Vain. I don't know about you, but but that doesn't always feel like how my life is. How about you? Sometimes our work feels like it's in vain. The paycheck doesn't go as far as we hoped. The boss doesn't really work well with us, or we don't work well with him, or maybe we are the boss and it's not going so well. Sometimes our parenting feels like it's in vain, doesn't it? Sometimes our marriages feel like they're in vain. We feel like we're spinning on this hamster wheel. You ever felt that way? Like you're just running on the hamster wheel. Oh, you're putting a lot of energy in. You're committed to it. You're sticking with it, but it just feels like it's spinning in circles. Remember when Colleen and I were first married, we were advised to do the the wise financial thing every young couple is supposed to do. What is that? Buy a house. It's the best investment you could ever make. It'll be your greatest asset. By the way, I don't believe that about assets anymore, um, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> so we bought a house. We had been married about 18 months, I think. Uh, we lived in the least expensive place in the country to live, a place called Connorsville, Indiana. You can look it up. It's corn and soybean country, farming country that had lost a Ford factory. So if you can imagine that, that's the place we lived. Great people, but it was like the cheapest place in the world. We bought a house, great little house, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath. I going to make some of you jealous now. It's three-bedroom, two-bath, been, had been remodeled for us because I didn't want to do that. On an acre and a quarter, with a full basement, and we bought it for what our na- our friends thought was an extravagant price: one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. I kid you not. You're like, was there mold? No, it was a great house. <laughs> Living there, you could buy houses for 70000 dollars. I'm, I'm not lying. Some of you are like, I'm moving to that place tomorrow. Just so bought a house. One problem. It was 2006. Hmm. Felt great for about a year, and then if you remember, 2007, 2008 were not the best times in the housing market. Thankfully, we lived in a place that was very inexpensive, so there wasn't a lot of room to go. But we owned that house for five years. And then we sold it for $125,000. We fixed it up, we mowed it, we took care of it. I left meat in the freezer in the basement one time and unplugged the freezer while cleaning. We had all kinds of experiences in that house. It was a great little spot. Colleen had a zero-turn mower. She went all around the yard. It was fun. Big walnut trees, beautiful place. And when we closed on that amazing investment, that greatest asset, that thing we had paid a mortgage payment on for five years, they wrote us a check. That was actually a victory if you lived through 2007, 2008, for $500. I couldn't even make a down payment on the next place. And it felt like I was running on the hamster wheel. It felt like our home ownership was in vain. And sometimes in life, as a pastor, as a parent, an employee, a business owner, and a friend, we can feel like what we're doing and where we are isn't really making much of a difference. Have you ever felt that way? But there is reason for great confidence in the place where God has called you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 20 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's definitely not me. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Do you know you have a job on planet earth if you know Jesus as a Christian? It's to be, wherever you are, God's ambassador That your life would live in sync with God's word and people would be able to say that person is different. That we would live with a steadfast hope. Not a doom and gloom, not a terror and fear, not, you know, um, people chronically terrorized by the events, but that we live with hope. And people would go, man, something is different. But not just that we would live with hope, not just we would live in line with this word, but that we would speak and share and talk to people about what God has to say. Wherever we are, wherever he's placed us. Now, there were ample reasons for Paul to lack confidence. Look at verse 17 of chapter two. Danny's gonna pick this up next week, but look at what happened to Paul in his relationship with these people. You can read Acts 17 if you want to. But Paul says, but since we were torn away from you, For a short time, in person and not in heart, we wanted to get back to see you again. Look at verse two of chapter two. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated, as you know, Paul's stay in Thessalonica was not easy. It was a short stay. It could have been as little as three weeks. It might have been a little bit longer than that, but it wasn't very long. You know, sometimes God has us in places in life for short seasons, and that's okay it's not in vain. It was a tough time. Paul faced lots of opposition. If you read Acts 17, there was jealousy and mobs and uproars. It probably felt to Paul like as soon as he made some headway, something went wrong. You ever been there? It was a short stay. It was a tough time, and it ended too soon. We read in verse 17 that they were torn away, and it had to feel to Paul Like they had left Thessalonica in a rush. They'd been run out of town because that's what happened. It got so bad that they had this little group of new Christians that they were pouring their lives into, but the opposition that got so bad that Paul, in the middle of the night, Paul and his friends had to leave town. It ended too soon. And they had to feel like they were leaving this little group in a place that it wasn't ready for. I was thinking about um, the story of Moses and I wonder if how Paul felt was a little bit like Moses' mother felt after she had, you know, um, been his mother for just a brief period of time, and it was so dangerous, but she refused to kill him, like the law of the land said. So she wrapped him up, she put him in a little basket, she sealed it up nice and tight. I can only imagine it probably rivaled any wrapping job any of you mothers have ever done. I bet she took the greatest care, wouldn't wouldn't you? And then she took this little life. I'm, I'm looking back at our little guy in the back row there, and imagining like baby Moses, put in a little container, right? Jordan's like, no, and <laughs> put in the river. And, and and I can only imagine her heart as she cried and prayed. And but it had to feel like this is too soon. He's not ready. This is going to end badly, but by faith it was what she knew to do, and she did it. And I wonder as Paul and his companions walked away from this town or ran away <laughs> or hid away, if they were like, I don't, this, I don't know if this is going to matter. I don't think those Christians are going to last, but Paul can say with confidence, I know it wasn't in vain How in the world can he have such confidence? How can we know that our time and even our lives are not wasted? The book of Ecclesiastes talks about that feeling of futility, like it didn't make a difference, it had no lasting value, it didn't matter, it was a waste of time, it was worthless. How can we know that's not our reality? As we represent God in our world, he assures us that where he has called us and however long he has us there, our efforts for him are not in vain. Can we look at these verses and see why? Can we get an answer to that question? Look with me at verse two. And this section, verses two through 12, reminds us that the reason that Paul's labor in that place was not in vain was because God's truth was shared. God's truth was shared. I wanna broaden this a little bit beyond just Paul and even the preaching of Jesus to that group of people. I actually wanna broaden this to all of our lives and where God has put us to be his ambassadors. So read it with that perspective. Paul says this, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impunity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, we share the truth. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. we not trying to make a buck off you. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands, we could have said support us as apostles or sent ones of Christ. God's truth was shared. And notice in verse 4, the privilege of sharing God's truth. Do you see it? Paul says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Those two words, approved and entrusted, are really interesting. And here's why Um, they show up regularly in the New Testament but most of the time they're about human beings taking the action. They're about our action. Let me give you an example of the word approved. Romans 12, two, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern, you may approve. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? First Corinthians 11, where we often turn when we have the Lord's table or communion, let a man examine himself approve yourself, check your life. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Turn over just a page to the end of 1 Thessalonians to chapter 5. Verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies. The idea is don't take preaching lightly. Value it. But, and here's the word again, test everything. So when you're sitting in a chair today, be it in this room or in the lobby, you ought to be listening to what is preached and not assuming it's true. You actually ought to be thinking critically. I know it's easy on Sunday morning after a long week to turn your brain off. You know, as pastors, we have a unique skill of helping you take a nap with or without your eyes open, right? I got a book at the preaching conference we were at called Saving Eutychus. You probably don't know who Eutychus is, but he's the guy who Paul preached so long he fell out of the window. <laughs> and the book basically is like, it doesn't take us that long to cause people to go to sleep. <laughs> so here's some advice on how not to do that. I'm like, I should get that book. <laughs> but test or approve everything. And as you test it, as you hear God's word, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Approve what is good. Good, and normally this is our responsibility. The second word is entrusted and actually this is the simple word for believe. It shows up almost 250 times in the New Testament and 248 to be exact. 243 of those references are about people believing. There are five, for you mathematicians, 2%, 5 that refer to God believing something. So listen to what these verses say. It says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, with God's truth, so we speak. Here's the connection. And this was powerful in my own heart and mind this week. As we go out into the world, as we parent as we uh, live out our marriage, as we whatever, God has approved and entrusted us with his truth. Stay there for a sec. You ever hired a babysitter? Do you know what you do when you hire a babysitter? You approve and you entrust, don't you? You may not know everything about that babysitter the way God knows everything about us, but you've watched them a little. You've observed how they behave among their friends or in your neighborhood, and you've made a judgment call, haven't you? Are they responsible? Can they be trusted? And then, out of desperation or need or a strong sense of confidence, you've entrusted the most precious thing in the world, to that babysitter, haven't you? Or things. Kids, they're not things, okay? The God of the universe, when he saved your soul, when he called you to be his child, entrusted you, every one of us, with the most precious thing in the world. And and in some crazy way, We get to be his voice on planet Earth. Isn't that crazy? I don't know a single person who's like, made a good choice in me. I know a lot of people are like, I'm weak, I'm broken. I sin and I struggle. But there's a privilege that we have. Whether in a casual conversation at work, moms, as you disciple your kids, everywhere we go to share... God's truth. And Paul went, my labor's not in vain because I got to tell people what God has to say. I got to give them hope for the saving of their sins and eternal life. I got, I got to give them wisdom for how to live every day and follow him. What a gift. A privilege entrusted. But then Paul does something interesting. He actually shares his heart in how he shared the truth. Isn't that Interesting. He starts to talk about how he shared. And I'll roll through these things quickly, but I'd encourage you to take some time on your own to to dig into these a little. Paul says, we shared God's truth. Look at verse two. We had boldness in our God. We shared God's truth boldly. In verse three, he says, we shared God's truth honestly, not in error or or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He says later on in verse five that it was shared selflessly. Not trying to flatter people, not with greed. God is our witness. And it was shared humbly, boldly, honestly, selflessly, humbly. Not for the praise of people. We didn't seek glory from people. And then he goes on in verse 7. Read with me here. Verse 7, here's more of his heart in this. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's something special there, isn't there? The care of a mom for a child. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only God's truth, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. This was heart level. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father and his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul goes on to say when we shared God's truth with you, we shared it compassionately in a gentle, caring way like a, like a mom. And not just any mom like a, mom, a nursing mom taking care of her own children. We shared God's word with you diligently. Paul said we worked hard night and day. We didn't want to be a burden to any of you. He says we shared God's word with you blamelessly. We made sure that our character lined up with what we said. This is one of the hardest things, isn't it? In a workplace or in a home, even in a church, that our character would match our words. Paul says we were above blame. And then it's an interesting, he started with how... He, he, they shared like a mother and then he ends like a father, verse 11. There's probably some good stuff here on parenting if you want to dig in there a little bit about different roles and responsibilities. We won't do that this morning. But he says how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. It was a direct conversation. We encouraged you, came alongside. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So like a father, it was shared directly there was a push to it. Now it's interesting. I want to ask you something. Why does Paul say all this? Why does he choose to go this direction with these people? Now there were times when Paul wrote that he was trying to answer an accusation. Someone was saying, you aren't, what you're saying isn't really true and it comes from bad motives. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. And he would defend himself. There were times that there was some sort of Uh, teaching error or doctrinal error out there that he was trying to correct. And he's like, you need to listen to me because because I came to you from God and it's valid and he's defending, he's clearing something up. But I don't think that's what's happening here. Because the whole rest of the letter is one of very positive encouragement. I don't think Paul's going a different direction here. What I think is actually happening is that Paul had such a short time with these people that he kind of only got to step one and step two. And so now, through his own example, he's encouraging them about how to approach their world and their relationships and their opportunities. Not in pride, not bragging, but he wants to model it for them. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 11? I I tell our youth youth sponsors this all the time. Follow me as I follow Christ. And can I read that list to you again? Because I'm pretty sure if you listen to that list, something will Will trigger in you that you're like, ooh, there's something I I can grow in. Boldly, honestly, selflessly, humbly, compassionately, diligently, blamelessly, directly. As you think about the places God has put you, are, are there any of those that kind of ring a bell for you? God's truth was shared. But secondly, this morning, God's truth was received. Look at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. You received it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them. At last, God's truth was received. Now we don't have time to dig into this, but Paul loves this term with the Thessalonians. He loves to call them brothers. Now that term has been hijacked a little bit in our community. Okay, but uh, sometimes when I'm texting with someone that I'm close to, I say, "Hey, bro," right? If, if you haven't spent much time around teenagers recently, there's a lot of word shortening going on, right? And you know what it means—that something's mid. Heard that mid? So in other words, if, uh, if we go to the ball game today, and it's all right, there's not really any home runs, it's kind of an average game, and maybe it's close, they win or lose, and I say, teens, how was the game? They would say, Nah, it's pretty mid. What does it mean, teens? It's fine, it's all right, it's middle, middle of the road, it's not great, it's not bad, it's pretty mid, right? I'm going mi- to blow this one. Anybody heard the word sus? Sus, you know what sus means? Are we past that? Is that gone now? Comes quick and goes. (laughs) How how long was that around? The fast, huh? (laughs) Brooke is like this long. What does sus mean? Suspect, right? Can't be trusted, right? There's other terms there, but I won't do any more of that. But when we say to someone, "Hey, bro," there there's a connection there, isn't there? There's a closeness. There's a relationship. There's a friendship. And Paul actually calls the Thessalonikans this again and again and again and again, you'll see it. It's a term of endearment. He saw what God was doing in their hearts, and there was a new relationship, a deeper, closer relationship. He also refers to them a couple times here as believers. There was a shared faith that they had together. They had received God's word. Isn't it cool Danny referred to all the different backgrounds and all the different places that we come from? But isn't it cool that the connection that we have is based in what we believe? It's based in our shared faith in Christ and what he's done for us. So Paul sees that the truth was received. The verses that we read tell us that it was received divinely, not as man's words, but as God's, because God was the one at work. And do you know every time, every single time that you pass along God's truth to people, either in your life or in your words, it has an effect if you're taking notes, write down 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. Actually, let's turn there real quick. Let's turn there real quick. I'm, I'm about done. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. This is a, these are some verses I read a long time ago that really resonated with me, and I was like, whoa. This is how God sees when we're talking to people about him or sharing his truth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Verse 14. So verses 12 and 13, Paul's talking about how they came and they shared about Jesus and they were talking about what God had to say about things. Verse 14 says this, but thanks be to God, Paul's really thankful for something, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That's an incredible picture, by the way, of like a a victory march. And through us, his people that he's entrusted his message to, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Look at at what the verse says next. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we're a fragrance from death to death. That sounds pretty bad. To another, a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Have you ever shared God's truth with someone or shared a bit of wisdom or shared about Jesus and they kind of like blew you off? Oh yeah, it's great for you. Good luck with that. Is that the Bible? I kind of believe the Bible, but moving on. And do you know what we feel like in that moment? We feel like what we just shared was in vain, don't we? But it wasn't. Every time your life reflects the character of God and every time you share God's truth with someone, it's either drawing them to him or driving them from him and both of them are part of God's intended work. When the sower sowed the seed, it landed on the ground, didn't it? And every time it had an effect, well, you say every time except one, that first one just went, whoa. But it still tells us something, doesn't it? That the place the seed landed was what? Hard. And it's gone. Every time we share God's truth, God is at work. And the mystery of growth is his work. If you go back to 2 Thessalonians 2, it was received divinely, but secondly, it was received life-changingly. Verse 14 says, you brothers became imitators. You believed and then your life changed. Danny talked about this last week that they became imitators, but now it's more broad than just Paul and Silas, isn't it? You became imitators of what? Of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So, so these new Christians, they didn't have Paul and Silas there like teaching them everything, so they picked up what they could there, and then they kind of looked around at other Christians and they learned stuff. By the way, can I help us? Can we please not become an echo chamber of our own version of Christianity? Can we ask God to help us? Not to make us proud and skeptical of everyone else who doesn't do it our way. Remember James and John? They were like, we saw some people casting out demons in your name, but they weren't us, so what should we do? Zap them! What did Jesus say? No, no, no. Whoever's not against us is for us. It was so good for me when I moved to this valley to get to work at Intermountain Christian School. Because the Christians who were just like me were kind of a few. But I learned something really fast. Whoever's not against us is for us. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have discernment. But can I encourage you to start with an open heart instead of a closed one? I learned so much. My... my, my Christianity grew in so many ways as I rubbed shoulders with people who believed in Jesus and were following him and were doing it a different way than me. I needed it. And I got to see in that season a little microcosm of the whole body of Christ in all its diversity. Listen, we don't want to be a church of all ears. We don't want to be a church where everyone does everything the same way. We're not trying to turn out clones at Gospel Hope Church. We want to grow and listen and learn You don't have to like everything. You don't even have to want to do everything. But keep an open heart. They became imitators of the churches that were around them that were following Jesus too. You will learn some stuff. And then lastly, it was received painfully. Seems like a weird place to end, but Paul was like, and you suffered. (laughs) What? (laughs) Do you know why that excited Paul? Because that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happened to the people who followed God in the Old Testament, That's what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi and Thessalonica. It was like a good sign. We we gotta be careful that we're not trying so hard to protect ourselves from pain and discomfort that we're not following Jesus as we should. Paul said God's truth was received. And he ends by reminding them that God will take care of it all and make it right at the end. No one who persecutes followers of Jesus will get away with it ultimately. So real simple this morning, are you confident as you follow God that he's at work in your world and that your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these words from Paul that encourage our hearts. They tell us so much about your good work in the world, both directly as your gospel is shared, as Jesus is shared with people that he's saving. It's amazing to watch lives change and people grow, but also more broadly as we Share your wisdom as we share your truth, as we rub shoulders with people all around us. Would you remind us that this is worthwhile? That we would not faint or grow weary in doing what you've called us to. Encourage our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.